Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 11. We're going to start from verse 25 and end it all the way at the end of the chapter in verse 36. I don't know if you have enjoyed the last three some weeks. We've been going over chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. If you're like me, your brain is fried. You're trying to understand this. And so I'm a trainer. I'm a teacher. So I want to try to make this as simple as possible so that you can understand some of these deep theological things. One of the things that I've been really trying to encourage people is that if, if Christianity is all just about an experience, then when you don't have that experience, it's easy to either fall away or feel as if God is not there. And that's why I want to encourage many of us who are maybe more bent towards the experience or feelings that we need the Word of God to undergird everything that we are doing as followers of Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. It has power for us. Those of us who maybe lean a little bit more on the other side where it's all just knowledge and what we know and you don't touch into your emotions, that's not good either. We need a balance of the mind and the heart. And we're praying that you will experience that because these are some important principles. Even though it's applied to more of the Jewish people, the Israelites, we have a lot of applications for us as followers of Jesus Christ. So hopefully you've turned to that. And then uh, we're going to be sending out the notes uh, to you as soon as possible. So hopefully you can follow along with that. I just wanted to start off as we're finishing off this chapter 11. I'm just wondering, have you ever realized when you lose perspective in life, that it's really easy not only to get more anxious, but to feel confused and even unsure about the things that are before you, whether it might be the thing you have to do or maybe something into the future. And I know that that is the case for me, that so often when I'm in a situation where it's beyond my control or it doesn't make sense, why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? It's really easy to not only get confused, but also to be unsure about the things that God is doing. So, for instance, if, if you want, all of us, we desire to make sense in this world. We want to try to understand why something is happening. And that's why when struggles or tragedy hits us, then we want to know what's happening. God, why is this happening? For some of us, when we have to decide on something, then many of us in that midst of that situation, we're trying to see how do I proceed forward with the decision that I have to make. The worst is when you have two good decisions or even three good decisions. How do you know which decision you should lean towards? And those are the times when we sometimes lose that perspective. We get confused and sometimes we get anxious about those things. Another time is when we fail or make mistakes. And I think this is something that we all can relate to because we're not perfect. And so we walk in this Christian journey and we fall, we stumble along the way. And these are the times when we're wondering to ourselves, can God use this for good? How will he turn this something that is messy now into something that is glorifying to him and beautiful for his glory? And then sometimes we get impatient And we're tired of waiting and we want to know, is God really going to answer my prayer? Or do I have to just sit here and wait until he opens that door? Can we move forward in that? Like these are all the questions we begin to ask when we don't have perspective. Perspective is so important in your journey with Christ. Perspective is needed, especially when things are outside of your control. In so many situations in our lives as we're feeling confused, but this is the time when we have to trust in God. We have to believe that in His greatness and in His goodness that He's working. And Paul talked about this in chapter 8. He's working out all things for our good, those who have loved Him and who have been called according to His purpose. I wanted to take this time and I want to show you this video. Some of you might have seen this uh, in various contexts, but it was a good reminder once again. It's about gaining perspective. And so pretty much what they did was there was a a lady who was laying down on the grass, and then they zoom out, and it goes into just the whole galaxy and the universe. And then it zooms in, 
and then you start seeing some of the small, minute details, even to the atoms and uh, the DNA of what a person is made up of, and then it kind of pulls back out again. And the reason why I want to show this is sometimes when we lose perspective, we have to understand how big God is and how small we are, but at the same time to understand that how special God has made us and because He's a great God. Isn't that awesome? Just to be able to kind of get some perspective and how vast this world is. And not just this world, but think about it. We're just a dot of 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 a dot. And we're talking about just in the solar system and then even beyond that. I mean, even within our galaxy, we're part of many galaxies in this whole universe. But yet God loves us and knows us so well. And this is the part that blows my mind every single time I think about this. That he knows us and the Bible tells us that God knit us together in our mother's womb. Every single part of us, even down to the DNA and the chromosomes and all the different parts of our body that God knew, that he knows us intimately. So that's why perspective is so important in our lives. It's not just when we struggle, but perspective as well as when it comes to salvation. And that's a question I'm always asking myself and I challenge other people. Why did God choose you? What was it about you that out of all the people in this world that he decided to choose you and offer you this gift of salvation? In many ways, it should humble us. It should make us think, look, God, you you have been too good more than I deserve. I, I don't deserve even to have my sins forgiven and for you to love me. This is the fuel for your spiritual life. Anything else is religion that is self-righteous and is fueled by your own human effort when you realize that there's nothing you have done, nothing that you can do to earn God's favor, to earn His forgiveness, to earn His love. That's when you come to the realization, God, it, it is all you, not me. It humbles you. It causes you to be grateful And even as you serve and as you live your life for him, that you want to declare it as loud as you can. And everything that he is doing in your life is all because of Jesus Christ. I love what Maltby Babcock said in his book, Thoughts for Everyday Living. Listen to what he writes. He says this, the tests of life are to make, not break us. Trouble may demolish a man's business, but build up his character. The blow at the outward man may be the greatest blessing to the inner man. If God then puts our permits uh, or permits anything hard in our lives, be sure that the real pearl, the real trouble is that we shall lose if we flinch or rebel. See, what, what he's trying to say is that God is doing something in your life. You're not going to fully understand it because it's about perspective. It's about who you know of God. But right now, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, God is doing something. So if you flinch or you rebel and say, God, I I don't want this. I want to live for myself. I want to do my own purpose and my own will. Then it's so easy to miss out on the very thing that God is trying to do in your life and also in my life. Can I ask you? What is it that he's trying to do right now? What are you facing? What are you going through? And it doesn't always have to be a big struggle. It could just some of you feeling apathy. Some of you who just are not motivated to do things. Like what is God trying to speak to you about? What is he trying to show you more about yourself and about who he is? And that's why as we close out chapter 11, we're going to once again, touch upon the same themes that he's been talking about throughout the last couple chapters. About this idea of God's sovereignty. About predestination. About being chosen by God. It's about the righteousness that comes through faith. And keeping us humble that why did he choose us? And he hasn't forgotten about the people that he has chosen. But he's working things out so that people will come to know him and receive him as Lord and Savior. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that we, when we experience God's greatness, we will live our lives as a witness. 
See, when you experience God in his greatness in terms of his sovereignty and all that he's doing beyond your control, that's when you can begin to live your life as a witness to who he is, a witness to not only your experience of God's greatness, but as you witness about that, that other people can experience the greatness of God. So once again, when we experience God's greatness, we will live our lives as a witness. We're going to just go ahead and jump into this passage. But before I do, I know we cover so much in chapter 9, chapter 10, even in the first part of chapter 11. So I'm going to try to summarize it as best as I can so we could follow the logic. Because it's not just separate chapters, but they're all connected in his thought process and the arguments that he's making. If you remember, for each of the chapters, he's reminding the people about the sovereignty of God. That it's his prerogative to do whatever he wants to do. And I will just say this to you. The quicker you understand this, the better you're going to be off in your walk with God. Because this is where a lot of our struggle comes. We, we think that we know better. Or we say to ourselves, God should not be doing this to us. But he will do what he wants to do to accomplish his purpose in our lives. He's God. We're not. And we forget this time and time again. So this whole two and a half chapters that we covered so far, or even two, yeah, two and a half chapters, it's really about the sovereignty of God so that he could do what he wants to do to fulfill his purposes, not only in your life, but here on this earth for the glory that will go to him and him alone. And that's why in his sovereignty, he chose the Israelite people. Some people will wonder, why did he do this? Or the Jewish people, they felt like we're the best. That's why he chose us. But Paul is saying, no. He chose you out of his own sovereign will, that you had no say in this. He chose you as the Israelite people. And those of us who are complaining, you bring it up to God because why didn't he choose you? Because we don't know. He chose the Israelite people. And so it was purely by grace and grace alone and nothing that we have done, nothing to earn it. And this is the reason why we see the Jewish people continue to struggle with the salvation by grace. Why? Because they felt that ethnically they were the chosen people of God. They also struggled with this because they had a human man-made or human-made self-righteousness. They obeyed all the law, so they somehow believed that they were in the in crowd. And Paul kept on saying, he even said, I would rather lose my salvation so that you could come to understand this gospel message that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That everything that you're trying to do in your religious works, that it is not changing you. You cannot earn salvation. And then he begins to explain that many of them have rejected Christ as the Messiah. That's why his heart was breaking. And that's why God in his still commitment and his love for his people, what does he do? He keeps on sending people their way to preach the gospel message, to help them to understand that God chose the Israelite people so that they could, he could bless them. And then through their blessing, they could be a blessing to other people. And now, because of the rejection, he decides in his sovereignty and in his prerogative, I am going to harden the hearts of these people and I'm going to bring salvation to the Gentiles. This is the reason why the Israelite people were so upset. Why the Gentiles? They didn't like the Gentiles. They didn't have this special relationship like they had with God. But he says, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, will come to know me. And he goes and sends and preaches the gospel to the ends of this earth. And this is where some of the Gentiles are now thinking, okay, too bad Jews, you, you blew it. Now we're in. And he goes, no, I'm going to save a remnant. You, you have been grafted into the root. You've been grafted in. So you shouldn't be proud. You shouldn't think like I deserve this too as a Gentile. So he's addressing both groups. You should not be proud because God chose you. You should not be proud because now somehow you think that they failed and you've taken over and you're better than them. And this is when we come to the end of chapter 11. So he's been arguing everything that I mentioned in chapter 9, chapter 10, and the beginning of chapter 11. And then he closes out in these things. So let me go ahead and quickly mention two things that you will notice 
in this passage for today. As we're talking about when we experience God's greatness, we will live our lives as a witness. And because of that, what do we notice here? There are two things that we are going to respond to when we experience, respond to God when we experience His greatness. The first thing is this. We will surrender our lives. We will surrender to His greatness. That's the first thing. I'm going to go ahead and look at verse 25 through 32 in this first section. And we're going to notice here two things that display God's greatness. And that should cause us then to surrender ourselves to God. Stop controlling things in your life. Stop trying to make yourself your God and dictate where you go. But to be able to say, God, it is all about you. You're the one that is leading. You're the one who is guiding. You're the one who is driving everything in my life. So I'm going to surrender myself to you. So here, here are the two things that you notice. The first thing is this. You'll see God's foresight. That God is able to look ahead and to plan things out in his incredible wisdom. Let's go ahead and read verse 25 through 27. It says this, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Let's just pause and we need to unpackage this a little bit because once again, if you haven't noticed, in the last three chapters, there's a lot of Old Testament references. To some of you who are recent believers and you are a young Christian, it's hard to understand this unless you have some understanding of the Old Testament. And that's what Paul is using to argue with the Israelite people that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and this was the plan that God had. So we're talking about God's foresight which should cause us to see the greatness of God. And as we see that, that we could be a living witness for Him wherever we go. It would have been really easy for the Gentiles, which are the non-Jews, as I've mentioned, to think that now they're better than the Jews. Because think about all that he was arguing about the Jews. God has been faithful to them. God has kept on showing His Word, sending prophets and giving His promises, but they continue to disobey they rejected Jesus Christ. So as a non-Jew now, that I have now been part of this, grafted into this promise, it was so easy for some of these Gentiles to think that they were better now than the Jews and other people around them. And this is where Paul reminds them once again, you Gentiles, you non-Jews, do not forget where you came from. Paul wanted the people to know this mystery, this mystery of God's plan that is no longer a mystery. And the reason why he mentions this is because the people, the Gentiles, have forgotten the bigger purpose of God. They have forgotten that instead of staying humble because of what Christ has done, they started to get proud. So that's why he addresses this. And let me read it from different translation. You can read the yellow section with me out loud. It says this. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will, what? Come on, say this with me. Not feel proud about yourselves. And the New King James Version says this. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise, and say this with me, in your own opinion. And then in the NASV, it says this, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. So think about that for a moment. How often do we live our lives in this way? In our own estimation, in our own wisdom. A lot of times we think to ourselves, we got this figured out. We know what to do. And that's exactly what Apostle Paul is trying to help them to avoid. How many of you are living your life in your own opinion? Some of you do not seek counsel. Some of you do not seek God in prayer. Even though you say, yeah, I'm going to pray about it, but you don't pray about it. You don't dedicate time to set aside to pray, to hear from God. 
And this is exactly what we can relate to as he's speaking to the Gentiles that you're getting proud. You have forgotten the bigger plan, the mystery that I was trying to reveal to everybody. I've revealed it now, but you have forgotten. And this is why the more we get focused on ourselves, especially during these times when we're struggling and when we're going through things in our lives, the more we get proud and insecure. I want you to think about that for a moment. That during these times when things are difficult and hard, these are the times when we get so focused on ourselves. And the more you get focused on yourself, that the more proud or insecure you get. Because some of you get insecure because you're going to look around and see all that other people are experiencing, other things that they have. Why did they get to do that? Or why did God, why did you bless them with this? So you start getting insecure. You start questioning, does God really love you? Does he really care about you? Or some of us in our own righteousness are doing all these things and maybe God is blessing us and then we think that somehow we got this because we deserve it. Or we worked hard for it. That's why the less you focus on yourself and the more you focus on God, it will help you to overcome whatever you're facing in your life. You'll see that it's God in His foresight, knowing what He wanted to do in us, wanting to accomplish what He wants to accomplish in us. That's why He's bringing these things about. I love what Tim Keller said in his book, Center uh, Center Church. He writes this, Without the gospel... Our self-image is based on living up to some standard, either our own or someone else's imposed on us. If we live up to those standards, we will be confident but not humble. If we don't live up to them, we will be humble but not confident. Only in the gospel can we both enormously um, bold and utterly sensitive and humble, for we are both perfect and sinner. What he's simply saying is this, is that the more we focus on what we do, it's going to lead us to pride. And in the same way, the more you focus on what you can't do and not focus on God, then it's really easy for you not to be confident and make you insecure. That's what he's saying. But we are perfect because of what Christ has done, but yet we're still sinful, so it keeps us humble. Do you have this kind of attitude? Do you see now why God may be in his foresight knowing that where he wants you to be? That he is not allowing you to stay where you are? You know, I've been having a lot of different conversations with different people. And the question always that is asked is, uh, Pastor, why am I going through this? Why is God allowing this thing to happen? And pretty much when I hear that, it's because they're struggling with the pain. They're struggling with the frustration. They're struggling with the difficulties of not knowing. And I always try to turn the conversation around to give them some perspective. And I say to them, what if God is calling you in the next three to five years to do something that right now you cannot imagine yourself doing? If God is God... And he sees time all at once, your past, present, and future. If he sees what you're going to be in the next three years and you're going to be doing things in the next three to five years, let's just say as a time frame. Don't you think God in his love for you and his commitment to you, that he will work on the areas of your life that he needs to work on so that you can do the things that you're going to do in three years or in five years? That's why I get so amazed when, I, when we try to address and I try to talk to people about character. I go, bro, man, you need to grow in this area. Like, if, if you're going to seriously get into a relationship, you need to work on this area. And I'm wondering, like, when I say these things, if it registers in people's minds, because why? Because... To be the kind of husband or to be the kind of father that you're going to have to be in the next whatever years of your life, that these are the things that he's trying to work on in your life right now. If he's calling you to be a CEO or maybe a manager in the next five years, the way you live your life right now, some of you, you might have lied, you, 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 are, you don't have any integrity, 
And so you're not going to get to where he wants you to be so that you can have an influence over people. So what is he doing right now? He's working on you, your character, your life through simple things of life group. The things that you said you were going to take care of, are you taking care of it? Because if you don't take care of it, when you become a manager in five years, you're going to lose your job. That's why when we change our perspective and realize what I'm going through now, God is preparing me for, I don't know what it is, but in that three years or in that five years, I'm going to do something. Because God has foresight. He sees it ahead of time. So he's working on me. Can I also kind of flip it around and help you to think about it in the other angle? Some of you are going to lose some things in your life. Some things that are very dear to you. Some of you are going to face tragedy. Some of you are going to face hardships coming up. And God is looking at you right now. And when he looks at you, you're weak. You're not going to be able to have the tenacity and the perseverance. Of course, you can't do it on your own in the first place. So what is God trying to do? He's trying to strengthen you. That's why you're going through these other trials because he's preparing you to get stronger for what is to come in three years' time. That's why I always tell people there's tests that God puts before us because he wants to know that you have the heart to still love him even though you may make a lot of money. He still wants to know that you will still love him and worship him and serve him even though you have a lot more fame or a lot more influence over people. He wants to know that you will still count the cost to live for him even though you might be more comfortable because you have more resources in your life. So that's why right now, before the five years coming, and we don't know what you're going to be doing, but you're going to be doing something Right now, he is working on you. Do you believe that? Do you trust God for that? That he has enough foresight in his greatness. That he created not only the earth, but the whole universe. How vast it is. Hundreds and thousands of light years away. That in his creation, all of creation. That he is working on you. Because he has something planned for you. Do you believe that? This is why we need to get back to his purpose. And what was that purpose? Because he wanted all nations to come and know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why if you look at verse 25 again, you will see that the purpose was what? A partial hardening of the hearts of the Jewish people so that until the chosen people that are from the Gentiles will come and put their faith in Christ. I mean, who, who, who could think of something like that? I mean, if God wanted to, he could do anything that he wants, but he said, you know what? In order to bring the Gentiles into the fulfillment of my greater plan that all nations will come and bow down and worship, I'm going to partially harden the heart of the Jewish people so that then then the Gentiles can then come in and enter. If you are a Jewish person, you're looking at this like, why are you hardening our hearts? Well, because he has a greater plan. And if you are a Gentile, you're like, wow, I'm so great. You're chosen. No, these are the chosen people. But he's partially hardening their hearts so that you could come in. So you should be humble. And Paul uses two Old Testament passages to confirm this plan and this purpose of God. He, he uses Isaiah chapter 59, verse 20 through 21, and Isaiah chapter 27, verse 9. And this is these two per, uh, verses, these passages, because many of you might not know this, this Old Testament scripture. This is where Isaiah is predicting and foretelling a deliverer that will come, who is going to come and save the Jews. Kind of like the Redeemer, the deliverer will come. So it's a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And those that he has chosen and those that will put their faith in Jesus Christ, it's clear 
that he, they're going to come and God is going to keep his covenant with the Israelite people. Now, it's interesting that in verse 26, I don't know if you caught this, Paul says that all Israel will be saved. Now, we need to clarify here, it doesn't mean that just because you're a Jew or you're part of the Israelite clan, you're going to be saved. That's not what he's saying. What Paul is simply saying is that the Jews that he has chosen, the Jews that he will sovereignly predestine, they will be saved. Once again, in his prerogative and who he chooses to save or not. Can I ask us, do you trust in his foresight? Do you trust that God is good? That God is so awesome and he's so great that he knows what he's doing? Some of the things that you're going through right now, you're going through it because he already sees five years down the line, ten years down the line. That's why he's working on you. That's why he's bringing things your way. He's bringing people your way. Don't flinch and don't rebel against the very thing that God is going to do. Because if you do that, you're going to miss out on the things that God has planned for you. And that can happen if you choose to disobey. Another thing that I want you to see here was when we talk about surrendering to the greatness of God, it's not only because of His foresight, but I want you to see here because of God's faithfulness. You'll see God's faithfulness. Let's go ahead and read verse 28 through 32. Listen to what it says here in the Word of God. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has co-signed all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So once again, you're seeing God's plan. It was a mystery, but it's no longer a mystery because now we see Jesus Christ. What is he trying to say? He's simply saying is God is faithful. God is true to everything that he has said. Not only does he have foresight, but you will see here he's, his faithfulness. Because why? Because everything that he has mentioned, we see that Paul is clarifying that God is going to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what he said all throughout the Old Testament. Jewish people, I'm blessing you so you will be a blessing to the nations. I've chosen you to be a light for the Gentiles. That is his word. That is his promise. And so now what we see is God is being true to his word. He's being true to the very thing that he has promised to the nations. And that's why he had to deal with Israel almost corporately as an enemy partially hardening their heart so that the Jewish or the Gentiles can come and to know him. But once again, God is always true to his word. He's faithful. He's not going to disregard the Jewish people. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of our faith. And what he's simply saying is that he has a plan specifically for them. He's not going to go against the very thing that he has spoken about. This is why Paul mentions that God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. They do not change. It is fixed. God is true to his word. It cannot be taken away. And to those he has chosen, he is going to fulfill the promises in their lives. Why is this true? Because the idea of God's faithfulness is rooted in God's character. Listen to the word of God. Listen to what it says. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. In the ESV it says this. For I the Lord do not change. Malachi the prophet is prophesying that God the Lord. He does not change. He doesn't say one thing and does something different. When he says it in his word. It, he is trustworthy. He is faithful. He's not like us. When we say we're going to do this but we don't do it. That's why, can I, just, can I just pause here and encourage you? The reason why it's important to learn how to be faithful to the things that you have committed to is because you then you will reflect the heart of Jesus. He's the faithful one. Everything that he has said, he has done. And he will do. 
So when we are faithful and when we do things that we say we're going to do, not because we're lazy or we're apathetic or like we just don't want to do it. If we are faithful to what we said we will do in obedience to him, you reflect the character and the likeness of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't change. Another passage here, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 in the New Living Translation. Read the yellow section with me. It says, God is not man. So he's not like us. He's not human like us in that way. So he what? Does not lie. He is not human, so he does not what? Change his mind. He has ever spoken, has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? So what a great reminder that God is consistent with himself with what he says and what he does, no matter what. Simply put, God is faithful. He is the faithful one. I don't know about you, but this is probably one of the greatest reassurances that we could have. Because it's completely different from our relationship with people. Some of you with your spouse, your children. Some of you with your friends, your good friends. Some of you with acquaintances maybe in your life group. How many of us, every single time someone fails us, someone disappoints us, what do we normally do? At first, we're trying to be gracious to them, trying to love them. But they keep on failing us. After a while, your heart will change. You don't trust them anymore or not as much as you used to. Your favor towards them slowly wanes out and you're like, ah, yeah, whatever. And I don't blame you. Because we're human. But that's the problem. Is that all our relationship with people around us, we're not like God. Is that how people respond and how they act and what they do or what they don't do, what they say and what they don't say, then we respond differently towards them. Our love is conditional. Can you imagine if God dealt with us in that way? Every single time you and I sin, that it changes his heart and he doesn't want to spend time with us or he's not favorable towards us. Now, you don't have to go very far. Just look at your parents. This is the reason why so many of you struggle and you're in bondage. And praise God for this summer, we're going to be talking about freedom. Some of you need to be set free. Your whole life, all you've experienced is conditional love. And that's why you're so insecure. That's why you're so performance-driven. Because you don't want to have that love taken away from you. You don't want to face punishment. You don't want to face abandonment. You don't want to face rejection. And so no matter how hard you try, this is how you've been raised up for about 18 years of your life, if not longer. And so because your relationship with your parents are like that, it carries over in our relationship with God. That's why when you don't have your quiet time or when you sin or you mess up, right away the same reaction, the same feeling that you have towards your parents or other people, you feel it. No wonder some of you don't want to spend time with God. You're ashamed. But if you understand this nature of who he is and his character, that God not only has this foresight to know where you're going to be and what you're going to be in five years from now, so he's working on you because he loves you, but also to see his faithfulness, everything that he has said to you and to me through his word, he has carried out or he is about to carry it out and he will carry it out. If you trust in that, then you know how secure your life will be? Do you know how that will radically change the way you live your life? The faithfulness of God. That what he said, he's not going to change. He's going to do it. Regardless of how messed up you are or what you do or what you don't do. That's why Satan is known as the accuser. 
So every single time you fail, you make a mistake, he whispers in your ear and says, I don't think God's going to love you. Now you're not going to be blessed. Look at this. Look at your life. You're doing it again. You're hurting the heart of God. I mean, he will say things to you where you're going to start believing in. That's why your relationship with God is so distant. I'm just giving you some practical things here. We don't have to think very hard. Just think about people in your life. Think about some of your friends. When you do something, let's say you gossip about them, and then you're wondering, do they know? Do they not know? How do you act? Oh, come here, bro. No. You're hesitant. You're not sure. You're a little bit embarrassed. If you cheated on an exam or you did something that you should not be doing, like think about this for a moment. We're not going to feel very proud about that. It's going to make us insecure. That's why with other people, we hide. That's why we have all these barriers. We have these walls that we build up and no one can enter in. You don't even know your emotions. You, don't even, you cannot even describe what you're feeling. But that's the beauty of the gospel. That you are fully known. And then loved and accepted. That frees you. You don't have to try to be somebody you're not. You don't have to try to earn something. That's where you find peace. That's where you find joy. To be fully known and to be loved and accepted. Think about that for a moment. That's why some of the best friendships that you have with people are people who know you. All the good, all the bad, but they still love you and they still accept you. Those are the good friends. Those are the good LCGs, the accountability that you share, you confess. They don't judge you. They share their own weaknesses, that that you are loved and accepted in that moment through that person. And that's why you feel safe with that person. This is the reason why many of us are not growing in our relationship with God. Because you're not fully known. And the irony is God already knows. This should give us great assurance or reassurance that God is faithful. He does not change. What he says, he does not lie. What he says, he will do. At the same time, we're not going to abuse his grace. When you realize the price that Jesus had to pay to be faithful to his word, why in the world would you abuse that grace and take it for granted? You'll be humbled. You'll be grateful. And then in verse 30 through 32, Paul mentions that the Gentiles at one time, they too have rejected God. But now they've been saved by faith. And in the same way, even the Jews who are right now in unbelief, they are not obeying the word of God. One day, he's going to show them mercy. This is the beautiful thing about his word. I mean, even in those couple verses, you see the word mercy repeated almost four times. Mercy, mercy, in his mercy. Mercy is different from grace. Grace is when you get something you don't deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. You deserve hell. You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve punishment. You deserve eternal damnation. But God shows you mercy so you don't face any of those things. Because it has all been placed on Jesus. So even though these Israelite people, they're in unbelief and they're hardening their heart. God is going to show mercy. How about us this morning? Have you experienced the faithfulness of God? Can you remember those times that even though you you have changed, but God has it. He's a constant in your life. I'm wondering if you're able to trust in His Word. Not just in your head, but in your life, you're trusting it, you're resting upon it, you're abiding in His Word. When was the last time you saw the greatness of God? As He has clearly given you some foresight, as He has shown you what He's able to do. Let's go ahead and quickly finish off. And We've been talking about how when we experience God's greatness, we will live our lives as a witness. And so people can see who God is in His greatness. We talked about first how we have to surrender to His greatness because He has foresight, He is faithful. Now the second point that I want to highlight for us, and it's going to come out busting, and we're going to go 100 miles an hour because this is an awesome 
closing of this chapter. Not only do we surrender to His greatness, but you will share. You and I, we will share about His greatness. Let's close out with verse 33 through 36. Listen to what it says. And this is just a praise that will be busting forth. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, this portion of scripture as we close out here is that Paul is concluding all his thoughts. I don't know about you, but can you imagine? He's trying to write all this stuff and he's talking about just who God is, in His greatness, in His sovereignty. He's picking up. And as he's thinking about these things, he pauses, and now he is busting out in praise. This is what we are known as a doxology. It is a praise to God, giving praise to God. Paul first praises God for what? For His wisdom and His knowledge. I'm wondering if any of you have experienced his wisdom and knowledge of who God is, that it causes you to pause and stop and say how awesome God is. That Listen to what it says here, that not only his judgments are unsearchable, but his ways are inscrutable. Listen to other translations of that word. Some of you are like, what does that mean? Listen to the other translation. It says this in the New Living Translation, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. The NIV says this, how unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. What he's simply saying is when you think about God, it is literally humanly impossible to completely exhaust all the thoughts about God. Because as soon as you're like, okay, I'm done, there's more. It's kind of like that game that you play where it's like these words and you try to give like different uh, acronyms or what do you call it, different synonyms so that people can guess it. And after about four or five, we get stuck and we're looking at that person like, don't you get it? But it's just never ending. God in all his ways, all his judgments, everything that is doing, his knowledge, his wisdom is beyond understanding. It is untraceable. That's why the word inscrutable means beyond tracing out or incapable of being traced by footprints. You can't see it. Even if you do see footprints, it's so far down that you're like, oh my goodness, when will this end? That's the feeling that Paul is experienced when he thinks about who God is, that he chose the Israelite people, that he is sovereign in all that he's doing. He's like, I can never figure you out, God. You are incredible. That's exactly what happened earlier after he talked about everything from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 8. What happens in chapter 8? He goes, What? Nothing will separate us from the love of God. That's what he's been talking about the first eight chapters. God's love is incredible. We are sinners, but God loved us. He goes, what will separate us from the love of God? Will death, nor demons, nor angels, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. It was a doxology. It was a praise to God. The last three chapters in chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, as he's thinking about God in his sovereignty, in all his ways, everything that he's doing to fulfill his word, he sits there and he goes, my goodness. Oh, how the riches of the, the, the vastness, the greatness of who you are, your thoughts, everything about you, Lord, all your ways, it is inscrutable. We cannot trace it out. Paul ends up quoting Isaiah chapter 40 verse 13 and Job chapter 41 verse 11 when he says it in that in that passage where he says you know who who are who has known the mind of the Lord who no one that's the answer no one who has been his counselor God's like you know what Seth I really don't understand what to do here can you help me out Lord I got this no the answer to these questions are rhetorical. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. Who has been his counselor? No one. Who has given a gift for him that he might be repaid? No one. Because God is the one who gives us all things. That's why we keep on saying even in our time, in our treasures, in our talents, we're not repaying him back. We're not giving. It's already his. So he doesn't need any of the sacrifice that we give. 
But it's our privilege, and it honors him, and it gives us joy. So it's good for us. And the power of this closing passage is that he is so awesome that you will never fully be able to understand. I love what G.K. Chesterton said in his book, Orthodoxy. Listen to what he writes. He says this. He says, the poet only asks to get his head into the heavens. It is the Lutician who seeks to get the heavens into his head. And it is his head that splits. <laughs> what he's simply saying is that God in his vastness, all we can do is try to get ourselves just a little bit into how God is thinking. But those of us who are so logical, we're trying to get heaven and trying to get God who is infinite into our brain and try to understand it. And what does it do? It splits our head. We get more confused. We, we, we start, did you ever sit down with somebody and you're like trying to have a conversation and after you leave, you're like, oh, my head hurts more because they're asking you all these questions because you're thinking about things you've never thought about. That's what Paul is trying to say. The more I think about who God is, the more I realize I don't know. My head splits. It's, it's just like I, I don't fully understand it. So God, let me come towards you so that I could understand your heart and the way you think, not you coming into my life and you showing yourself so I could understand everything about you because we cannot. God is infinite in knowledge, infinite in all his understanding and his ways. You will never fully understand. And that's why you've heard these famous quotes before that for every two or three things that you understand about God, he's doing 10,000, hundreds of thousand things. That's how complicated things are. So all we can do is trust. All we can do is believe. All we can do is understand who God is and he's going to be faithful to his word. And then in verse 36, this is the power of this closing statement in verse 36. What he's showing is that God is the source. It says from him. And then he says through him. So not only is he the source, he is the sustainer because it is through him. And then it is to him, which is what? That he is our target. He is our aim. He is our end goal. So if it is from him, through him and to him. So God gives it to us. He sustains us through it. And then now we are able to give it back to him. And it says what? To give him glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm just wondering if that is your heart. The more you understand this gospel, the more you understand what Christ has done for you and for me, this will cause us to break out in doxology and praise to God, to realize, God, there is no way I can fully understand you. I'm not try I cannot get you into my brain, but I need to get my brain closer to you to understand. And even then, I will not fully understand. Because it is what? From you, through you, and to you. All glory and power and praise and majesty unto his name. Let me just give us the one thing once again. When we experience God's greatness, because he is awesome, he is great, we will live our lives as a witness. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to think about some of these things as our next steps. I'm going to do it a little bit differently because I don't know, as I was reading this passage and I got to the verse 33, 36, I was just like excited. I'm like, oh, the riches and the greatness of our God, you know, and the, who could fathom his understanding and his wisdom? And I was just thinking like, how do I, how does a person get there? Like, can you imagine you're just in the MTR and you're thinking about God and you're like, oh, the riches, they're going to think you're crazy. Just like when you cough and everyone's like, uh right? That's the same thing. But that should be our response all the time when we think about sharing our lives with people, especially those who don't know Jesus Christ. We should be excited about knowing His greatness. So here are some steps, and it's going to be kind of like a flow, all right? So instead of kind of like a, here's one thing, two things, it's almost sequential. So the first thing is this. The first thing is study. You got to study the Word of God. You got to get to know God. Some of you don't know God, and therefore, this is the reason why you're not able to bust out in a doxology. A lot of times, I always tell people I can know someone's theology 
by their prayer. I love to listen to people's prayer. You find out a lot about a person and about their theology according to how they pray. Some of us just repeat the word, Father God, Father God, Lord, and all this stuff over and over again. He heard you, okay? He knows that you're calling to him. Some of you think that the faster you pray, the more spiritual. That's not the case. So you're just go gibberishing. Where's that thoughtful and just even crafting your sentences, not to impress people, but you're standing before a holy God and you don't have to say much. The Bible tells us that even in our groaning and moaning, he understands. He's Abba Father. I long for the day when some of our prayers are so deeply rooted in theology because we study of who God is and we get to know who he is. Some of us are so shallow in our relationship with God. That's why when we tell you to do soap, like there's these verses you can memorize and things that you can kind of keep to say, okay, here's a prayer that I can lift up about who God is. Study the word of God. The second thing is this. As you study, stop. (coughs) Just stop. As you're studying, to stop and pause. Reflect on that thought. Oh, wow, God is faithful. He is true to his word. I, the Lord God, do not change. God, you don't change. You're consistent. When was the last time you paused and you stopped before trying to go into the next thing? So as you're studying, then just pause in the midst of that. To direct your attention back on God. And the next thing is sing. Praise Him. You could sing or you could say. It doesn't matter. It's still an S. So what happens is just like it's a doxology. It's a song of praise. You can say it or you sing it. Remember why? Because Satan can't read your mind. But when you declare, there's power in it because you're even hearing yourself. You might be off key when you're singing, but it's okay. You know, God is tone deaf. And so you just sing it. That's why I have some songs that you really can memorize and you know and sing it that during times when you're going throughout the day. So study, stop, and then sing, and next is surrender. When you start singing these songs and saying these things about who God is, you realize, do I really believe this? If it is true, then I got to, as I stop here and pause, I surrender my life. I surrender my desire for control. God, it's you. It's all you. So study and then stop and then sing or say to God. And then you pause and you surrender. Whatever it is, your anxiety, your difficulties, that trusting, you just confess those things and you then surrender. And the last thing is this. You share. You share. Because as we talked about, that when you experience the greatness of God, you will want to live your life as a witness. Easter's coming up very shortly. And I'm just wondering if some of you, your lives have been so transformed that you cannot help but to share. Some of you who are not sharing, I will say this, and this is no disrespect to you. I am not trying to be condescending in any way. Some of you really don't have too many friends, whether it's at workplace or even in school. And this is the reason why we're trying to help you to grow as a person so that you could be a blessing to other people. And that means somehow some of you need some social skills. And I'm sharing this not not to make you depressed, but I'm just simply saying some of you do not have friends outside of our church. You're not friends with your coworkers. You're not friends with other people in your classrooms because you're just focused on just hanging out with people in church. And there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But I will say this. If we're just here to be a holy huddle and just to be comfortable with other Christians, then you've missed the point. You got to share the good news. That's why D.T. Niles said what? Christianity is one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. You found the bread of life. You're going to want to share it with other people. 
because it's free and it's unlimited supply. Why wouldn't you want to share? I could understand when there's limited supply, when you, you don't get that much, you might not get it, then you're like, okay, you're going to be selfish. But it's unlimited. It's freely given. Freely you have received, freely you give. And here's another reason. I think some of you deep inside, you're not living your Christian life in front of your co-workers, in front of your friends, in front of other people, your classmates. So you don't want to feel like a hypocrite. And can I just say this to you? You will be a hypocrite. I wish you had a mirror right in front of you and just point at it and say, you're going to be a hypocrite. Because you're not perfect and you're not Jesus. So when you make the focus about you, no wonder it's so difficult to share because you get embarrassed. You wonder what's going to happen. Are they going to say something? But you're talking about Jesus and what he means to you. It is not your job to convert. It is not your job to help them to receive it in, in a way. It's the Holy Spirit. So when you study about who God is, and you stop as you pause and to think about, oh, how awesome he is, then you will sing or you will say and out of your mouth, giving praises to God. And as you begin to do that, you say, God is so awesome. Here's my life, Lord. I surrender it to you. And then from there, what will you do? Then you share it with other people. With this coming Easter, I do pray that every single one of us will be able to take that next step. Let's make this a prayer in our lives. I'm going to ask us right now if we could just stand together and I'm going to have us just sing this one song. We're going to sing about the faithfulness of God to what is true to his word. And let's believe it by faith. This is what God wants us to believe and for us to act upon it. Let's get ready for Easter. I know many of you are and many of you are preparing. Many of you are inviting. You know, just recently I was looking at statistics and they, they said those who are under 20, what is it, 25, under, under 25, so right around some of most of your age here, they said almost eight, in, eight out of 10 people will come out to church if someone invited them. When I saw this, I go, we have no excuse. This was a survey that was taken globally. That means that if you have a relationship with somebody and you invite them to church, 8 out of 10, they will want to come. The reason why they don't come, majority of these 8 people out of the 10 is because you don't invite them. Because you're afraid. Because you don't have any friends. And I want to encourage you, pray before you go into work. Pray before you go to school. Pray before you walk around in your halls, in your dorm room. And as you pray, may the Lord strengthen you and see his greatness in his faithfulness of who he is. And then share it with others and just invite them. If they say no, then they were rejecting God, not you. I don't know. I'm just getting all these thoughts. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or just me just going crazy. But listen, how many of you, when you applied to university, you only applied to one school? Someone will look at you and say, you're stupid. Because what if you don't get it? I don't think there's a single person in here just applied to one school. If, you, if, if that's you, I only applied to one school and that's it because I'm that good, then you talk to me. You, you email me. Let's have coffee. I'll buy you coffee. I am 100% that many of you applied to several, if not double digits of university. Why? Because you're not sure if you're going to get in and you want to have options. How many of you, when you apply for jobs, you only do one CV to one place and that's it? Come on now. Liars. All of us. Those of us who are working. How many applications did you apply for a job? Many. Because once again, you're not guaranteed that you'll get a job with that one application. So you apply to multiple and wait until you hear from them. What I'm trying to say is this. Listen. You do this in your life because you care about school, getting into school and university. You do this at work because you care about getting a job. Then why wouldn't we, if we care about souls, to try to invite as many people as possible that we have a relationship? I mean, don't, don't go around the street and go, hey, what's up? And then say, here, I mean, who knows? God can use that too. But the ones you have a relationship with, 
Why do you just invite one and that's it? Invite as many as you can. And some will say yes, some will say no. You care about a job, you care about a school. Let's care about souls. And we want them to hear the word of God. So Lord, we're praying in the name of Jesus right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit and by your sovereign work that only you can do as we submit and surrender to your providence and all your ways, Lord, come and I just pray that we will see your greatness. Open up our spiritual eyes. Help us to see how great and awesome you are. And through it, Lord, that we can love you and worship you. Sing our praises to you. Because you alone deserve all the glory and all the praise. We thank you for the reminder today as we surrender ourselves and to share about your greatness. That you will do the great work. We just thank you, Lord. And we pray even for Easter coming up. Thank you for dying on the cross, Lord Jesus. And resurrecting from the dead. That gives us life. The fullness of life. And we want other people to experience as well. So Lord, help us to be in prayer. To be utterly dependent upon you. So come Holy Spirit. We thank you. We love you. We worship you. Because everything is from you. It is through you. It is to you. May you receive all the glory. May you receive all the praise. Because it's all about you. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. We're so glad that you were able to join us. And we do pray that you will get ready for the weeks to come as we get ready for Easter. Let's be in prayer. And uh, we pray that this coming week you will experience the power of God. So don't forget that. Just to be able to study, to stop, and not only that, but to sing, to say whatever you feel more comfortable with. And then as you do that, you surrender and then you are able to then share with other people. Let's apply that into our lives and see great things happen. So God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.